0: year this week's album debuted, I was entering my senior year of high school. Vice President Cheney shot a man. The Blu-ray disc hit the market and Google purchased YouTube for $1.65 billion. They were laughed at by pundits for their foolish investment. And the Nintendo Wii, it hit the world by storm when it launched that fall. Finally, this week's band was focused on Rebirth with their ninth studio album in their 23rd year together. Have you guessed it? The year was 2006. The band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and the album, Stadium Arcadium. This week on Two Dudes and Tunes. Welcome everybody to Two Dudes in Tunes. My name is Wood, I'm one of the dudes, and I'm joined by the other dude, my good friend, Chris Robinson. Chris, how's it going, man?
1: It is going great, man. Uh, My wife and I are gearing up for a trip. We're going to spend some of uh, our spring break time in Fredericksburg, Texas. Going to get out of the hot and dusty plains for a little bit. So it, it hasn't been
0: too hot and dusty though.
1: No, not hot, but boy, is it dusty? Actually yesterday <laughs> was a, it was a regular hub boob. That's what we call them here in uh, the panhandle. And, um, man, I woke up this morning and had to put eye drops in and like, wait a little bit to put contacts in. Cause my eyes were full of dust. My eyes! My eyes! And grit, um, well, that's enough of me belly aching about uh, weather on the plains. We we've heard this before. What what's going on in your world? How are you doing?
0: We've had a uh, an interesting week in the Johnson household. Um, uh, I guess it started with we had a plumbing leak from the great freeze back in February that we discovered. Oh no! Uh, and our house was without water for about nine days because of that. And that ended up being a really, really expensive repair bill. uh, And our entire water line was replaced. And it took them, it took them about 20 hours one day to get it done. And then the next day, uh, my air conditioner needed to be fixed. So homeownership got even more expensive. And Finally, the next morning after that, uh, Wednesday morning, I let the dogs out, was getting ready, getting Maverick ready to take him to his, uh, his Mimi's house and... Uh, the dogs were outside. I put them in their crates right quick and left for the day to do stuff and came home at about five o'clock in the afternoon to let them out before I went to a uh, an evening to get together with some friends and realized that Morgan, our golden retriever, her nose was about the size of a basketball.
1: Oh, and, um, no. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so Morgan got bit by a rattlesnake on Wednesday morning. Oh, gee whiz.
1: Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes?
0: And so she spent last night uh, at the pet ER getting anti venom and fluids, and just oh. kind of being generally miserable. And she's home here tonight, uh, hanging out with me right here, uh, recuperating. Oh, poor pup. But I felt uh, yeah. really terrible. She doing for okay? Her. Yeah, she's gonna be fine. But oh. I felt really terrible that I uh, I felt like a terrible dog parent, just uh, not really paying attention to her when she came inside, and she wasn't acting weird, but. Uh, When I got home, it was definitely weird.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, poor dog. Well, I mean, don't blame yourself. Life gets busy and dogs also have a way of like trying to shake it off. Like, no, nothing's wrong. It's all right. I'm fine.
0: I didn't do anything to get in trouble. I promise. (laughs) That's exactly it. Tiffany, my wife, uh, kind of had an interesting insight into all of this. This happened on March 15th. So St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick is famed for running all the snakes out of Ireland. And Morgan is a golden retriever from Ireland, Scotland. And her name, Morgan, M-O-R-R-I-G-A-N, is the Irish goddess for of bringer of death.
1: Oh my the irony is The, the palpable. irony, the irony
0: <laughs> that she got bit by a snake on the day we commemorate the guy who ran all the snakes out of Ireland, and she is the bringer of death, just Boils over. Uh, Did you guys
1: do something to offend St. Patrick? Did you like stomp on a clover or like make Irish people jokes or something?
0: I I didn't wear any green.
1: Oh, well, I didn't either. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're not responsible by association (laughs) because I went to dinner with my family and they were all wearing green. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then they all pinched me half to death.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so Tiffany is hoping that Morgan learned not to mess with the nope ropes.
1: Man, so funny story about uh, nope ropes. Uh, my freshman year of college, uh, my parents were nice enough to let me live in the house as long as I was going to college. Um, and so I was running late one day and opened the door. To uh, the house to like run out to my car and leave, and a little garden snake slithered <laughs> into the house, and I just like leaned back into the door and was like, uh, "There's a snake in the house. I got to go <laughs> I Just booked it.
0: <laughs> so what else is new
1: with you, man? To be honest with you, not a whole lot. Let's see. Last week, well, I get that's not exactly true. So. My wife has gotten her vaccination, Uh, and so we've been able to do a little bit of running around to kind of experience a little bit of normalcy. We took a trip to Amarillo just kind of on a whim. We were going to help my in-laws pack up because they're moving, and uh, we got done early, so we kind of had a whole weekend to ourselves. But yeah, that's about it. We're kind of making our way around Texas now that we can kind of get out of the house with a relative amount of safety. So, other than that, just working for a living, hoping that this turns into something exciting. You know,
0: I think it already has. I'm I'm really excited with where we are at the moment. But kind of with yeah, that I said, am too. With that said, I think we need to turn our attention to this week's album, Stadium Arcadium.
1: All right, let's get on it. I know that you love this album because it's on your list.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I also pondered putting this album on my list because it was a staple for me in high school. It was kind of kind of a very formative album for me guitar-wise. That was the whole reason I bought it when it came out is because I had heard Snow and... Um, you know, uh, some of the other singles. Uh, the, the real big one is escaping my mind right now. What is the, it's the first track on this album, Danny, California. Um, yes. Danny. So I had heard those two tracks and went and picked it up. Um, and even like among all my guitar playing friends, there was a ton of buzz because this album from a guitar standpoint is just incredible. John Friscante playing covers like a really wide array of styles, The tones in it are amazing. Um, But sadly, this album was purged in the great uh, compact disc purge at some point in the last five years. So it is in a thrift store somewhere or in a garbage bin somewhere. I am not sure which. Um, But that's kind of my story behind this album. But this is this is your week in your album. So what what is the story for you behind this album?
0: Well, you know, this is this is one of the last albums I remember standing in line to buy on release day uh, at a Barnes & Noble bookstore, for those of you who are wondering. And uh, the, whole, the whole reason I was excited to buy it, I had not been a huge Chili Peppers fan leading up to this release, but the local rock station here in San Antonio, uh, or Classic Rock Station, uh, I can't remember which did a like an expose where they played a lot of the singles from this album uh one night and then they had an interview with uh flea and uh i believe it was just flea but like he was on the phone and it was obvious he was like on a tour bus and it was just a really poor quality like Uh, audio connection like they have sometimes Uh but he talked about just how excited they were about this album and how you know how the music that you know was being played on this you know expose was really indicative of what could be found throughout the whole album and hearing kind of his pride and everything that was going on with the band everything that he had to say about it and then coupled with my brother Britton who really enjoys the red hot chili peppers i was like okay i'll go buy this and so like the next day we went out and bought it uh i was heading into my senior year of high school. So between my junior year and starting my senior year when, uh, when this album came out. So I had a little bit of mobility. I had a car. I was able to get out of the house and do stuff. And I remember just kind of getting it, uh, walking out, putting it into my car. And I had a really beat up old uh, Toyota Land Cruiser at this time and I had just. Oh, I put, remember
1: that car. Well, I had, fondly. Just,
0: I had just put a CD player in it. And about three weeks after this album, uh, the CD player got stolen out of it.
1: Just a sick world we're living in. Sick
0: people. <laughs> oh, so, so it was oh, one of the man. only CDs I ever played in that car. But I remember just instantly really liking it. And uh, reading your notes about it being purged from your uh, your compact disc purge. Uh, made me go looking to see if I still had this album, and it is in a box of stuff from my parents' house from when I moved out of there about eight years ago. So, so I still have it. It's the jewel case is all cracked and broken up, but the CDs seem to be in pretty good condition. So, I threw the album, the the physical album, in my truck, and maybe I'll give it a listen for old times' sakes, just to handle something physical while I'm playing around with it. Unfortunately. Yeah, you should. I joked last week's episode about how I just got this on vinyl, and unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to listen to it on vinyl this week, with all the stuff that we've had oh, going man, on between Morgan and the house plumbing and all that. So,
1: yeah. Uh, oh my goodness, th-
0: that'll be for another day, I guess. i will keep it in the, the cellophane, and we'll we'll get to it one of these days.
1: Yeah. Oh, hey, that'll that'll make it special because you'll have a little bit of uh, anticipation built up.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've been listening to this album pretty much on loop for the last week, week and a half. So uh, I'm ready to take a break from it, honestly.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It is long. It is 28 tracks. And that is just a long amount of time to just sit and listen to music.
0: Well, and last week I spent uh, 57 hours in my company car driving uh, 3,800 miles uh, doing garage inventories. So I had a lot of time to listen to this album.
1: Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. The length was uh, kind of the primary thing uh, that I disliked Mm
0: -hmm.
1: about this album. And, And possibly the only thing, because as we talked about in our last episode and have talked about even in conversations before we ever started the podcast, like, this album is excellent. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the production of it is phenomenal. The arrangements are just like a Swiss watch. Nothing is out of place. Everything is recorded really well. The band is like in peak condition. Everybody is playing their instruments and singing about as good as probably they ever have. I would Mm say, um, but the length is something, like I said, that I, I, I struggled with, you know, I listened to music at work and I was having a hard time getting through it, which really kind of threw me for a loop because, you know, as we've talked about, like I grew up listening to this album for the most part, you know, I got it. I guess it would have been me going into my junior year. Um, but so I, I kind of, I sat down and thought like, well, is there anything from this album I could cut just as an exercise? And like, is any of this like, not, not bad, you know, but could I bear to part with eight of the 28 tracks and cut it down to something, uh, that long, and I did have a list of those tracks. You want me to read them off? I'm just curious mainly to see your reaction if you haven't already read them in the show notes.
0: I've read them in the show notes and my reaction is utter violence. I can feel your anger. If we were in the same room <laughs> together, this podcast would be over. But go ahead and call them out and I'll tell <laughs> oh, you why no. you're wrong.
1: Okay, so from Jupiter, from the from disc number one, I would cut... Danny, California strip my mind warlocks and wet sand. And from Mars, I would cut 21st century. If animal bar and death of a Martian, those were the, the songs. And, and for most of these tracks, they were things that I felt were kind of repetitive, which we can get into that a little bit later. Cause I have some things to say about like, the length of albums and thing like what that kind of means for a track list. Um, But in case anybody at all is interested in the violence (laughs) I've done to this great album, uh, I'm going to post the, uh, the track list that I came up with for both of these albums, just as kind of a fun exercise in like seeing what one can do about trimming down an album that feels too long.
0: Yeah. So on the length thing, the album is just over two hours in running time. So kind of my defense of its current running length with the track list, the way it is, is, you know, I would sit down for two hours to watch a good movie. I would, I would sit down for two hours to read a book and have on many occasions spent a lot longer than two hours, you know, watching a good movie or reading a good book. And in text, you and I had kind of joked about how I'm the the fan of long form entertainment. And I Mm -hmm. sat and really thought about that a little bit. I love long running shows with long story arcs. Uh, Some of my favorite movies, uh, not to be too nerdy are the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies. And I prefer the director's cuts of each of those. So
1: Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: I I kind of, well, you know, long form guy. And definitely when I look at our list of albums, uh, I am the king of the double album. (laughs) So every time we get one of my albums, it seems like you get to do a lot of work.
1: (laughs) You know, it's, it, I, for most of these, I wouldn't call it work. Even with, uh, even with the George Strait album, I enjoyed the process, but part of the reason that I sat down and, and cut some songs out of it, uh, was mainly to get me to engage with the material because part of the problem I had being at work and trying to listen to this is uh, the songs kind of started to bleed together for me and I wasn't really able to focus on them in any meaningful way. Not that I was like sitting down and trying to like Crack the code on every single track and try and come up with some grand unifying theory of stadium arcadium. Um, but I felt like I needed to prove to myself okay, is it my attention span or is there stuff on here that I genuinely feel I could do without that would kind of improve my experience of it? Um, and you know, I'm not about to sit and say like, Oh, well it's clearly better because I got rid of these things. But for me personally, I think that I found that the band was repeating themselves a little bit. And, you know, I haven't done a super deep dive into like my quote unquote edit Mm
0: -hmm.
1: of the album. Um, But at the very least I got rid of songs that took up, you know, I mean, eight songs, uh, assuming they're what, like three, four minutes each, let's say three minutes, that's 24 minutes out of, you know, what, like two hours you said? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's nothing to sneeze at. And so I think it it was mainly just to help me figure out how did I really feel about this? Was the album truly too long or is my attention span shot? Because that is also like, a very likely possibility, you know,
0: for me, when I look at this album, it came, you know, after California Cation in 1999 for Shante kind of left and did his own thing. uh, And unfortunately had his, you know, relapse with heroin addiction and then uh, almost died as a result of that. Uh, And the band released by the way, without him. And that was kind of a low point for the red hot chili peppers as a whole. I feel like when I look at their their albums, uh, it just doesn't stand up to the rest. And so when Freshante came back to, to Kitas and to Flea and they kind of came back together and decided they were going to create an album that was an ode to what they wanted to be and what they had been in the past, they were really focused on making that album everything that it could be. And originally it was a concept album, so they were planning on releasing it in three volumes, uh, uh, Mars, Jupiter, and uh, I can't remember the planet for the third volume. But in the post-production process, it was decided to cut the third volume entirely. So
1: that third volume was probably Uranus. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> Definitely. That was probably what they got rid of. <laughs> you know,
0: you know, Pluto was still a planet at this point, and they were just foreseeing it and just said, "Oh, that's nah.
1: right, yeah." It was probably like five tracks. They're like, "Ah, we don't need Pluto. It so, doesn't qualify as an album."
0: So actually, it was ten tracks, um, and so the original album for this, you know, three volume set was going to be thirty eight songs, and they recorded all of it. They post produced all of it. And then at the last minute, uh, or not quite the last minute, but towards the end of production, they decided we're not going to release the third volume of this album. So we need to cut 10 tracks from it. And so Flea, Kiedis, Frashante they all sat down and they had to go to 30, from 38 tracks down to 28 tracks. And they said it was like killing one of their children every time they picked a track not to keep on this album. And so... In the years since then, uh, those B sides have been released on a couple of other albums and a couple of other like single releases, and so you can now hear the original opus that was going to be this three volume collection. And I got to tell you, that third volume would have sucked. Like those songs are oh, terrible.
1: I oh did you find the list of those songs? Because I want to go on my own time and listen to them. Cause I read that in the show notes and I was intrigued, like 38 songs is a lot. So I want to know what they cut. Well, and originally
0: know? when it was going to be the three volumes, it was going to be, they were going to release a volume a year. And then at the end, they were going to sell like a three volume collection in one box. Set. Uh,
1: so it yeah. wouldn't have
0: been 28 tracks at once or 38 tracks at once. It would have been 10, 12 and you know, 14 or whatever the breakdown was going to be based on how they had mm-hmm. the songs divided. Um, there is a Spotify playlist that has all the songs in one playlist. And I believe there's one on Apple Music as well. So you can kind I of need to look that it's, up. It's, yeah. It's the stadium Arcadium order plus the nine other tracks tacked on. And the 10th track has never been released. So you get nine out of the ten. Oh, uh,
1: interesting.
0: Definitely worth listening to. And when you listen to it in the context of these were the 38 originals and these are the 28 we ended up getting. I have a hard time saying that the the 10 that they cut were the ones to cut
1: and mm-hmm. they've already been cut. Mm-hmm. So
0: I don't feel like you can cut this album anymore and still own or retain what they were intending originally.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I complain about length, not because I think that the album is bad. Uh This is something I kind of alluded to earlier. I, I felt like, and this holds true for a lot of double albums I've listened to. It is hard not to repeat yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you get that high up in a track list. Now the thing that makes this album exceptional is that I think that the band's skills kind of saved them from having just absolute duds. None of the tracks that I like cut were because I thought like, oh, they're bad. It's because, like it is rare to find an artist that is not going to repeat themselves over much past 15 tracks, mm-hmm. let alone 28. And I don't know if maybe I'm just like, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm pickier than you because you, you know, you and I have fairly selective tastes in music. Um, but it may just be that I get tired of stuff Quicker, you know, it's funny. A lot of the albums on your list are long, or you know, you've got most of the double albums. I have a lot of like nine track albums mm-hmm. and 10 track albums on uh, our you list. had a
0: five track album, and we've already covered it, so
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, like. I think that the bar is just so high. I can't think of any, any double albums that don't have at least a little bit of repetition, the possible exception being the white album, you know, but I mean, there's stuff in there that I would get rid of because it's just noise. Frankly. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? We
0: we can agree on that. I think, (laughs) I think at the end of the day though, for me, this is kind of the magnum opus of what a double album should be. And mm-hmm. I think one mm-hmm. of the reasons for it is the tracks that are on it are pretty deliberate. The ones that made the cut here are pretty deliberate. And I really yeah. like seeing, you know, you already mentioned it, but this really is a time in the Red Hot Chili Peppers career. And how how many people or how many bands do you know that it was their 23rd year together and their ninth attempt at something that is arguably their best work? Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: These guys came together kind of with a unified vision and a unified set of goals. And they had strong support from Rick Rubin, their producer on this album, to kind of create the album that they wanted to make. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in reading about this album, uh, there's a, an interview, like a roundtable interview, uh, where they interviewed each one of the members of the band kind of independently from each other. So, you know, Flea didn't know what... Kitas said Akita said or Frashanti didn't know what either of the others said about him. And they asked a bunch of probing questions and all of three of them were just really positive about the experience that it was the best writing experience they'd ever had together, that nobody took control of anything. They were just, they were meshed and they were one voice. And to hear that coming from three guys interviewed at three different times, just cut, 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 cut was like, man, this is, this is the album.
1: Um, I'm gonna pick on you a little bit. Do you have something against Chad Smith? The 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 Will Ferrell clone that plays drums in this band? (laughs) I'm sorry. I knew you weren't leaving him out on purpose. I just thought it was funny because, like, man, Chad Smith, his his drumming, him and him and Flea as like the drum and bass core of this
0: band they're essentially one just, person when musically there yeah. it's one tight. You can hardly tell the difference. They're amazing. And oh, Chad, man, oh
1: they're so good.
0: Chad, if you're listening to this, our lowly podcast, if you're one of our four listeners, I am deeply, <laughs> deeply sorry.
1: Uh, no, I just had to call that out and <laughs> pick on you a little bit. But yeah, the, the production of this album, um, man, Rick Rubin's touch is just spot on. Like nothing is drenched in too much reverb, nor is anything too dry and raspy. Like everything sits in the mix just absolutely perfectly. And when you look at Rick Rubin's production credits, that's kind of a consistent thing, at least among the albums he's produced that I listen to Um, the, the system of down albums that he's produced have a similar quality. And granted, a lot of that comes down to arranging, right? Like as a band, you have to be able to pick, okay, the guitars are going to play here. Bass is going to match here. We're going to diverge at those points or whatever. But man, like everything just sounds clean, And uh, But also organic, you know, because none of it sounds overproduced. Um, And so as I kind of read through Rick Rubin's, like, credits and kind of thought about those works, it really clicked for me that, yeah, the reason, part of the reason this album is so good throughout 28 tracks is because, like, the producer was there to, like, guide and help them, like, shape all these songs into a consistent experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, he also did uh, Audio Slave's first album, Audio Slave, which is one of my all-time favorite albums and is also on this list
1: uh, Mm -hmm, coming
0: up. mm -hmm. And that's also indicative of kind of his sound. But just to mention one more artist that he really worked a lot with towards the end of his life is uh, Johnny Cash, he did about 20 years worth of albums with Johnny Cash. Uh, and those were some of my favorite albums by Cash. Uh, they have a, a very raw looking back on my career, looking back on my life and being very uh, poignant, if I guess is the word I'm looking for. And mm-hmm. Rick Rubin's sound in those albums just comes through because it's just Johnny. And I, I I've always loved that about, you know, Rick Rubin's work. There are some people, though, um, who don't have very good things to say about Rick Rubin's work. Uh, kind of starting in the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, he got really involved in the uh, the, the loudness wars, if you will, where uh, producers were really just piling on all sorts of compression and just really blowing out the the waveforms of their their audio files in an effort to increase the perceived loudness of a track while not actually increasing the loudness of the track. And so as somebody who is very kind of kind of an audiophile, you end up with a lot of clipping in your in your waveforms which causes popping and clicking and all sorts of nasty stuff in your audio system and you lose all the dynamic range and you and I have mm-hmm. kind of talked about on this album in particular, Stadium Arcadium. One of the things that's so great about this album is how dynamic it is. So it kind of escaped that loudness war phase of his, of his career, but he was kind of derided uh, by, you know, reviewers and kind of people who love music uh, for kind of being a proponent of that in a lot of those nineties and early two thousands rock albums.
1: Yeah. The, the, that com- that note about compression is interesting because as a guitarist, you know, I uh I you know use effects pedals and that is a thing that compression does it really um it compresses your signal the highs cannot be too high nor can the lows get super low um and compression for me personally does tend to kill drums specifically all the kind of life and variety that a drummer can pack into one of their parts in a song, in a mix can really just be squished out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the thing that I think I, like I agree with you. He definitely avoided that. And I don't know if this was like maybe at the beginning of the loudness wars and so kind of escaped that but actually kind of towards
0: the end of the loudness wars. This was when he was drawing it back. Yeah. Well
1: you know I think I think that a lot of that probably has to do with musicianship as well because arrangement is just as much a thing that affects the loudness or perceived loudness of a track as much as the way something is produced. And a lot of the albums that Rick Rubin has produced that I really enjoy also just happen to feature really tight bands. You mentioned Audio Slave. I really love Audio Slave as well. Uh, System of a Down are another band that their arrangements are things that I notice specifically and love about these bands. And so I think that, you know, we, we've heaped a lot of praise on Rick Rubin. And I think producers can kind of get ignored by the casual music fans, certainly. Um, but there is a lot to be said for the band and the people sitting down and playing their instruments. Um, but man, I, for this album, it was definitely just a killer combination Of people, Rick Rubin, and then just the talent that those four guys in the Red Hot Chili Peppers bring to the mix just created something that even though I felt it was a little long, man, like if you're going to listen to too much music, this is kind of the album to do it with, you know. Well, uh, do you want to get into the critical reviews? Because I think it was interesting how this album was received. You want to get started on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. So overall, this album was pretty well received. Uh, I kind of have a habit of going and checking the Metacritic ranking on an album when I first start reading about it. And Metacritic came out to a 73 out of 100. So generally favorable reviews and a lot of just really strong, great reviews. Uh, What did you see?
1: Uh so I, I kind of checked up on kind of our usual suspects. Uh the Rolling Stone uh gave them a four out of five stars for their effort, which is pretty I mean pretty glowing praise from them, I would say.
0: Um I, on that topic though, I thought their review was kind of lazy. It was like three paragraphs and just yeah, it's a great album, basically. Four yeah, out of five. And
1: it, and to be honest, I couldn't even find any pull quotes. And I, I feel like I come across that a fair amount in the rolling stone. Not that I like, I, I'm not about to cast and throw shade on music journalists writing for the rolling stone. Cause as far as the pecking order goes, I'm like underneath the bottom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not even the, on the like, page. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it did kind of come off a little slapdash. Um, Pitchfork kind of predictably was like hypercritical. Uh, Bob Mitchum wrote, the peppers have eased into a comfortable life traveling down the middle of the road. And I think that in its way is kind of a lazy indictment of this album too, because it's the musicianship is excellent. And, you know, say what you will about ketis's lyrics like even if they aren't the most profound like for the Chili Peppers they're pretty good a lot of them had gotten married and were starting families and so they sat down and took some time to write songs about that Um, and I think it's real easy to level that accusation at big bands you know we've seen it with the Foo Fighters a lot and it's probably true to some extent you know these bands get into a groove and they know what they do and they do it well
0: yeah, and I've got to defend the the uh, the Chili Peppers here a little bit on the topic of the album being middle of the road because when I listen to this album, if you told me you could only have one Red Hot Chili Peppers album to sum mm-hmm. up the entire career of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, it's this yeah. album.
1: And same same.
0: It's not because their other work is not good. Their other work for the most part I feel is very good to exceptional. This album, though, mm-hmm. just from the the funky tunes, the amazing bass, the great drums, the wonderfully played and layered guitar effects uh, throughout the entire album just made it such a a holistically good experience that calling it middle of the road is a huge disservice to this album.
1: Yeah, it's really an oversimplification Um stylistically, they cover a lot of different ground. Mm -hmm. They have some like hip-hop-type grooves in some of their songs. They launch into some straight-up guitar hero moments where John Frusquante is just doing some incredible playing. Um, One of the things I read uh, when reading about this album was that uh, one of the things Flea brought up about Frischkante's playing is previously he had been a little bit more reserved and you can kind of hear that in some of the like less is more approach Mm -hmm. on albums like by the way, or Californication, but man, he stretches out on this album. He does a lot of different things, covers a lot of, uh, of ground stylistically. And so, while maybe those things are familiar to a reviewer from Pitchfork, I think it's an oversimplification to say, oh, it's just kind of middle of the road. Like it's, if anything, it's an exhibition of like, look at the skills that we have. This is what we're capable of. And I agree with you. If I was going to pick one Chili Peppers album to be, uh, to be stuck on a desert island with, this would be the one
0: well and one more thing to defend this album and you mentioned it at the very beginning of the show is this album inspired a lot of young musicians in whatever their instrument was if you played mm-hmm. guitar drums bass uh if you sang even like this album really inspired an entire generation of young musicians to pursue the passion of their instrument because these guys are so obviously passionate about what they're doing on this album. Uh, There's a lot of video clips on YouTube uh, of them playing songs from this album, and you can see it. You can see clips from the tour of this album, and it's a high-energy, high-passion experience across the board.
1: And, you know, to your point of inspiring a lot of young musicians, you would be hard-pressed to get on Instagram and not find a young bassist who is deeply, deeply inspired by Flea. He's probably the most, the the member of this band who has inspired the largest number of musicians. You know, he is a, while maybe not a pioneer, because slap bass and funk bass has been around for quite a while, he synthesized a lot of those things into a style of playing that, like pretty much every bassist I know there I there's a guy that I work with who is in a metal band and he plays bass but you know who one of his favorite bassists is is flea um but they they all of them are just so talented as to be just kind of um the paradigm for a lot of players. I, I won't ramble on too much about guitar playing, but you know, Frisconte is capable of a lot of different styles and he's really just incredibly talented. And that was something that inspired me and in my playing is that you don't have to limit yourself to one genre or one specific style. You, you benefit as an artist and a musician uh, from kind of, getting your fingers in all the pies, you know, and that was something that I really picked up from Fruscante's playing. So it, it really is inspirational in a lot of ways.
0: Nice. So I think we've given the professional reviewers their due. I think it's time that you and I review this album on our reviewing scale of one to six guitar strings. So on the scale, kind of where did this album fall for you, Chris? So, you know, I, I
1: don't want to repeat myself too much. I've kind of already, uh, already given out a lot of the things I have to say about this album. But just to sum it up, this is about as tight as a 28-track album can be. The production is crisp. Everything is in its place, and there's a place for everything um the arrangements of the songs are just great there's no kind of time wasting extended passages that leave me scratching my head there aren't any any back not, not even like background vocals that i think like oh why is that there like the band really sat down and honed these tunes to be as good as they could possibly be um, and we didn't even really talk that much about lyrics or vocals, but I think this is Anthony Kiedis' best work. Um, he's got a lot of turns of phrase that are just kind of fun and stick in your head, even if they're like maybe a little bit in his kind of dorky, hallucinogenic, kind of white boy rapping style. <laughs> You know, like uh, it's it's good. It's all what I love from the Chili Peppers. But I have to come back to the fact that when I was listening to this, I kind of got lost in a little bit. Um, you know, 28 songs is a lot of... It makes for a lot of time to have to focus. Um, if this is something that's on in the car, it's no big deal. But to sit down and derive enjoyment from it as good as it is. I still found my attention wandering, found myself kind of hovering over the skip button going like, okay, well I've heard this before. And you know, that could be time too. This is an album that you and I have been listening to since 2006. Um, But I feel like I have to ding it a couple of strings. I've got to give this album four out of six strings because for me personally, a more concise experience makes for a more memorable experience. And honestly, if they had released this the way they were planning to over three years, I would very easily be able to pick one album out of the three of them that I like the most. So I'm coming in at a solid four out of six strings. Uh, but what about you? Cause I know you have a very different opinion <laughs> than I do.
0: <laughs> so I'm definitely the, the lone weirdo here. Um, I think back to my early memories of this album. And for the most part, each track has a specific memory from, you know, the late high school, early college time of my life kind of tied to it. And I've come to think of this album almost as more of a companion than a listening experience. It's something that is comfortable. It's like, you know, the shoes that I like wearing around the house. And when my mind is troubled or when I've got a big problem to work through, this is kind of one of the standby albums that gets queued up on my phone and kind of plays in my ears. Uh, The summer that this album came out, it came out on May 9th. Uh, about a month later, I found myself on a church mission trip to Haiti, and this album kind of was a part of that experience for me and was one of those times in my life that really changed the direction of my life in a week. And so this album really is imprinted on me because of that trip and the experiences that I had on that trip. Um, I agree. It is a long album. It's 122 minutes to be exact. Uh, but like I said earlier, I put that time away for all sorts of activities that I derive enjoyment from. And I feel like each track on this album deserves to be admired. Uh, my word of the week, uh, the big word of the week for me is apotheosis and this album is the apotheosis of red hot chili peppers music. Uh, It's the best thing that you could possibly put up there from them. This album holds up 15 years later. When I put this on for the first time uh, last week and played it, it sounded like it could have been released a week ago. Uh, It could be at the top of the charts again. And this, we didn't even mention this. This album released with Stadium Arcadium at number one, and it held number one for 14 weeks. It's one of three songs to open at number one on the billboard charts in the history of the chart. And it stayed there for 14 weeks. So when I put this album on, I'm transported to that time when it was at the top of the charts and I end up reliving some key inflection points in my life. And thankfully very few of them I would do differently. Like this is not an album that I feel regret when I listen to it's something that I really enjoy. Uh, But there are some things that I don't like about this album We've talked about the loudness wars. This is kind of at the end of it. And some of the the tracks on this album really show a lot of that, especially on those B-sides that didn't make the cut. Uh, They're over compressed, uh, a lot of much harder kind of rock metal stuff in there that just kind of gets muddy in the way that it's mixed because of that. Uh, And because of that, I'm glad that they cut the album down to 28 tracks and got rid of the third volume and decided to release this as just a really long double album. Uh, The B-sides are definitely my least favorite uh, from this project, and they're probably my least favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers songs as a whole. So uh, I kind of jokingly thought to myself, if this had been released as a three-volume box set... I probably would have used the third volume to tie into a fruit tree, like an old net zero CD at the store to scare all the birds away. Uh, Because it's just, the music is that bad on it,
1: but. Up there with the uh, AOL internet CDs. (laughs) Yes.
0: So what we got, I feel like is just about as close to perfect as you can get for an album at 28 tracks and 122 minutes. And part of that, I admit, is just my personal perception and the fact that, I kind of grew up, you know, my childhood ended listening to this album and my life turned on the release of this album. So I'm giving this album five out of six strings and fleek can keep slapping that bass.
1: Yes. And I, I, I hope that he does because boy, is he just, he is a wonder to behold. I, this is a band that I have never seen live and it makes me really sad because They are just excellent. Um, But that's it. Gavels have banged on whatever it is that gavels bang on that like weird little hockey puck of wood. Is that what that is? A sounding block? I should know. I'm the one who's been in (laughs) band class between the two of us. But I am assuming that you had a favorite track. So do you want to move on to the favorite slash least favorite portion of, of the show?
0: Absolutely. And I'll take the lead on that. I just wrote, I just wrote like a six paragraph long love letter to this album. So (laughs) picking a favorite deserves it. It does. Uh, I don't say anything. I don't mean. Uh, So picking a favorite was really hard for me, but the one song that kind of has the deepest emotional impact on me to this day is snow. So I'm going to pick snow as my favorite track for this album. How about you?
1: So my favorite track, it, you know, I, I may have come off as super critical of this album, uh, but boy, did I love it. Picking a favorite song was like having to pick between, you know, the three of my children, which is my favorite. I don't have kids, but if these songs you get, you all get what I'm saying, you understand. So I had, I forced myself to pick between slow cheetah ready, made and storm in a teacup. Um, because Readymade and Storm in a Teacup are bangers. They are about the heaviest that this yeah. band has ever gotten. And man, is it great. They are but good. I had to go with Slow Cheetah because it is such, an, uh, such a, a refreshing departure from what the Chili Peppers usually do. There's jangly acoustics. Uh, the tempo is a little bit more laid back. But then again, you have the Chad Smith and Flea rhythm section, just like they can't help but be funky, even during this like slower track. Um, And Anthony Kiedis really shines on this track too. His vocal melodies are fantastic. And so Slow Cheetah was for sure my favorite track on this album. Um, And it looks like here you and I had another Daily Double with our least favorite track. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So we both picked animal bars, our least favorite, and I'll be honest. I read your yours when I was trying to pick my second. So that probably had yeah. some, some inflection <laughs> on me. Um, I should not have looked at your review first.
1: Look at, yeah. You're looking but, over my shoulder at the test,
0: but I do agree. I've never really felt anything emotionally connecting me to that song in particular and it is probably lyrically speaking kind of the most nonsensical weirdest song on the album so yeah it's kind of an easy one if I had to pick one track out of 28 to throw away I'd probably give that one the boot
1: yeah and to kind of like point out uh, a thing I thought about that summed this album up for me is even in my least favorite track like there are some drum breaks that mm-hmm. Chad Smith has during the bridge that are great. He is just an incredible drummer, really tasteful, but also can just like bring the thunder. And so even in my least favorite track, like there was something for me there, you know?
0: Well, and I, I will give the caveat that I think musically animal Bar is a great song. It should have just been an instrumental song.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would have been neat to hear them do that. Um, and I don't know how much you care about this like bonus round that I threw in there. But my favorite album between the two of them is Mars. Uh, Mars is kind of the heavier rocker. And I had said last week, I don't think there's an album I prefer. I think they're both good. But I remember putting Mars into the CD player more often than Jupiter because I liked a lot of the guitar work and kind of the heavier riffs. Um, so if I had to pick an album, if you're going to make me pick kids, I'm going to pick Mars.
0: So in 2006, I got my first iPod. And so this was one of the early albums that I ripped in like the really terrible version of iTunes for windows PC and put on my iPod. So I really kind of blurred the lines really early on between the differences in Mars and Jupiter. Uh, that said, having listened to this album all week, this week, uh, I can safely say my favorite of the two albums is Jupiter. So we can be different, but I still like you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's it. That's what the world needs right now is people who can love both of these albums together well we've uh we've done it we've made it through another 28 song magnum opus um why don't you consult the oracle and the random number generator will tell us what we're doing next week
0: all right man well this week we are picking from your list Mm -hmm. and i'm hitting random right now All right. Number 21 is what came up. That is Bon Iver for Emma forever ago.
1: Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Bon Iver, sir. Bon Iver. It's it's like some, it's like a riff on the French language. So I, I can understand you being disrespectful
0: about it. <laughs> Actually, I have never listened to this album, so I am excited to uh, to check it out this week
1: yeah man you're in for a treat it's very different we're finally getting into some of the like moody sad guy <laughs> indie music that's on my list so I'm uh, this This will be good it'll stretch you a little bit
0: well Chris this has been a lot of fun to our audience thank you for listening to this week's episode on Stadium Arcadium if you want to join the conversation drop us a line and interact with us on our socials they're in the show notes Chris I'll see you next week when we're talking about Bony Iver
1: yeah, <laughs> sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So I drove to Houston today and came back home. So oh, man. I got all the Houston allergens in my system at the moment.
1: Oh, that's so delightful. All that humidity, just working them right in there.
0: I saw a gator on the side of the road today. So, you know. Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> Swap. Oh, people, there's a gator in the house. <laughs> yeah. Another gator. Give me that shovel. <laughs>